Welcome to the New Grace Sermon Podcast. Our church exists so people experience new life in Christ. We invite you to connect with us on social media at newgrace.cc on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about us or to support this ministry financially, visit us at newgrace.cc. Wonderful job, worship team. On fire, on point, on aim this morning. Filled up with the Spirit and yielded to the energy of the Holy Ghost. We're very thankful for that. Numbers 11. You know, I actually referenced this story and made mention of it a few weeks ago. This is a story, one of the times, several years after the children of Israel had left Egypt and they had been in the wilderness wandering around. And manna had come down like bread from heaven every morning. And after a while, they became dissatisfied with this manna. They begin to whine and cry out and complain to Moses. They begin to say, man, we're tired of eating this heavenly bread. We want some meat. We want some protein. We, we we, we We miss the fish that we had in Egypt. And they just turn into a bunch of crybabies. Remember we preached on the curse of the crybaby spirit just a couple of months ago. And Moses is overwhelmed. I get it. He's leading two to two and a half million complaining people. And all of the gripes and whining is coming right back to him. And he goes to God in a moment of transparency and openness and he says, Hey, if it's going to be like this, and i got to keep being the guy who's got to have all the answers and address all the issues, I can't do it. And he literally makes this statement, I'd rather be dead than lead these people. I'd rather be dead than have this job. You just kill me now. That's literally what he says, just kill me now. And then God gives him some revolutionary direction. Chapter 11, verse 16, here is the Lord's response. And the Lord said unto Moses, Gather unto me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom thou knowest to be the elders of the people, and officers over them. Look what he tells Moses to do. Bring them unto the tabernacle of the congregation. That tent revival, that tent we've got set up where I keep showing up, tell them seventy to come with you into that tent, that they may stand there with thee. God says in verse 17, I will come down and I'm going to talk with you right there. And I will take of the Spirit which is upon thee and I will put it upon them. And then, look at this, Moses, they'll bear the burden of the people with you so you don't have to carry it by yourself. And when you jump down to verse 24, Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. And he gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people and he set them round about the tabernacle. And the Lord came down in a cloud and spake unto him and took of the spirit that was upon him and he gave it unto the 70 elders. And it came to pass that when the Spirit rested upon them, they prophesied and did not 
cease. I want everybody to take your finger and I want you to point it at yourself and repeat after me and say, I'm influential. Look at the person next to you and point at them and tell them, you're influential. Church, we are influential. There's a lot of words that come to our mind when you hear the name Moses. People think of deliverer. They think prophet. They think leader. One word that may come to mind if you kind of with it concerning the 21st century culture is we could consider that Moses was an influencer. Influencer is a rather current, relevant thing right now. Since social media has drastically and dramatically blown up over the last 10 years, there have been many people using their YouTube accounts, their Instagram accounts, their online social media profile and platform, and they have positioned themselves as what we would call an influencer. They are people who have very large followings online. There's actually even different levels of being an influencer. And many of the people that are at the top tier of being an influencer have millions and millions of people that follow them. They read their blogs. They look at their photographs. They watch primarily all of their videos. And these influencers don't just have a large following, but they also influence certain sects of society in trending to particular things that are their area that we could consider expertise. They do branding, they do promoting, and they do advertising. And many businesses and companies are very aggressive in trying to get some of these individuals like Selena Gomez and Kylie Jenner and, 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 and uh, the Cristiano, Cristiano, what is his name? Christ, what's, the, what's the soccer player's name? Ronaldo, that's all I need to know. They're very, they're very aggressive about trying to get these people to become influencers of their brand or their product. And you may be in this room and, and you think in and of yourself when you hear the word influence or you hear influencer or when you even think being influential only belongs as a merit and badge to people who have millions and millions of followers. Well, I want to tell every person under the sound of my voice this morning, whether or not you believe it, whether or not you think it, you are an influencer. Let, let me explain to you what I mean, New Grace. Influence is the weight of your words. It is the pull or the push of your presence when you walk into a room. Influence is the impact that you have when you give insight. Influence is how you in effect an atmosphere. It's what we get when we get you, and it's what we lose when we lose you. Influence is how you make people feel. It's how you make people think. I like to consider influence as the wave of your walk. Because everywhere you go, you have a ripple effect whether you know it or not. 
You're always a pebble in the water everywhere you go. And it is God's destiny over your life for you to make a splash. Somebody say amen if I'm preaching to you this morning. Every man and woman of God in this house is an influencer to some degree, which means every one of you, no matter your age, no matter your background, your education, where you work, where you go to school, no matter who you are, everybody is influencing somebody. This was Moses. In our story, we see that Moses was very overwhelmed by the leadership situation and predicament that he was in. Can I say this? I get it. The burden of leading other people is heavy. People being, knowing that people are affected by everything you do or don't do, it's heavy. Knowing that as a leader, that means you've got followers. Whether or not they are checking on your profile, there are people watching you. And they ain't just watching you IRL in real life, they watching you online too. You say, I don't care about online. I get it, it ain't real life. But in real life, people are watching you. And sometimes there is a burden and a weight of knowing that people are staring at the back of your head. And when you, and you want to serve God, you better believe the magnifying glass is going to get a lot closer to your life. And people are going to criticize and scrutinize every little thing you do, say, post, or go. I need a witness right there. You're always in a situation like Moses where you're having to influence people. And he was overwhelmed by this. And we see a really important thing that he took his complaints to God. Something you need to understand in the principles of leadership is gripes always go up. Gripes, go, that, gripes don't go down or around. Gripes go up. So what do you do when you're, at the, when you're at the top of the leadership ladder? You take it to God. That's what Moses does. He doesn't have anybody he can go to. He can't go to Aaron. He can't go to her. He can't go to the people. He takes it to God. And when he goes to God, God tells him, the spirit that is on you, the thing that I have put on you, needs to be on some other people in this camp to help you lead the rest of the people. Now, this reveals a few things. Stay with me, I promise you. I'm going somewhere. It tells us that Moses did not need to carry this alone. Man, I am so glad that as a young pastor in ministry, I recognize the need to not do things by myself. I feel for the person in this room who is bragging and boasting about being a self-made individual because it is sad to think what you could have done had you had some help. And it, you are not designed to carry things by yourself or alone. And I, I'm glad that we have a church culture that doesn't look to me like some kind of superhero out of a comic book, thinking that everything is my job. If you think I've lost some hair, try to make everything be my job and I will lose my head. I have learned that you have people surrounding you that help you become more and better at what you're supposed to be and do. And this was an opportunity for Moses to see that he didn't have to do it by himself. It also revealed the untapped potential of other people that had been overlooked in the congregation of Israel. Lastly, it revealed a solution. What's God going to do about this? He tells Moses, I want to multiply your influence upon the people. Here's what he tells him. I want to do some impartation before we do any delegation. Let me help you for a second. If you're trying to get people to follow you or you're trying to get people to help you, you need to impart what's in you before you delegate something to them. 
You have to develop before you delegate. You have to disciple before you delegate. That's why we're real intentional. Intentional before we just hand you the reins or hand you the wheel on something you want to do. We got to put what's in us in you so you get what God has for you and you do it to the highest standard of excellence and of your ability. God tells him in verse 17, I'm going to take your spirit, which is upon you, and I'm going to put it upon them. And then they're going to bear the burden of the people with you, and you won't have to bear it by yourself. Let me get the tip of this plane up in the air and preach this morning. God was saying to Moses, what is in you, what is on you, needs to be on other people. What I put in you and what I put on you is meant to be shared. I want to look everybody in their God-given eyeballs, and I want you to listen to me. God puts some things in you concerning your identity, concerning your character, your nature, and your gifts that were not for you. Pastor Jeff said it right last week. The vision God gave you ain't about you, boo. Because what God has given to you, God just wants to give it through you. I feel, I feel, I feel like preaching right now. God put some things on you. God gave you some insight. Some of us have been to the educational system of hard knocks. Some of us have a past over our shoulder that most people don't want to talk about or remember, but some of us have been through some very intentional places in our life because all it was was a training ground. All it was was preparatory school because written over our life was a divine destiny written in the heavens that God wanted to do some things with us and the world looks at us and don't get it and people look at us and it don't make sense and our extended family scratching their heads trying to wonder why we got ours in the clouds but I want to tell you some of us were marked for destiny we were marked for greatness we were set aside to do something and we're not going to settle for the monster of mediocrity we ain't going to live an average life why would you want to merely do just something when you've got a God who said I can do anything if you'll only trust and believe I wonder if I got any dreamers in this house who would say God has a God's got a plan for me and I don't really want to settle or get complacent or comfortable with just being normal some of y'all are thinking Pastor D there ain't nothing normal about you he said what I got on you Needs to roll off on somebody else. That's what he said. What was so influential about this guy? What did Moses have that God wanted other people to have? You remember the story in Exodus chapter 1 that when all those Hebrew slaves started having babies, the king of Egypt said, every baby born as a male cast it in the Nile River with the crocodiles. And so when Moses was born, his mama put him in a little ark of bulrushes and sealed it with pitch and put him in that river and trusted God with him. And the Bible says that he floated on down the river and got stuck off to the side. And the Pharaoh's daughter came down there for a ceremonial cleansing and saw him, 
took him in, and then went and found one of her women servants, which ended up being Moses' mama, and said, I tell you what, I will pay you to raise this kid in our kingdom. From the very beginning, it's almost like he was set apart. Grew up, made some mistakes, ended up tucking tail and leaving Egypt after he killed somebody. Ended up in the wilderness for 40 years. And then finally one day, a bush was burning and it caught his eye. And when he turned aside to see why the bush was not consumed with the fire, a voice spoke out and said, Moses, Moses, take your shoes off for the ground on which you stand is holy ground. And through a dialogue and a conversation, the call of God was placed on his life. And the man who said, I am not, heard the voice of the one who said, I am. And the Bible says that he went back and courageously faced his past in Egypt, faced Pharaoh and delivered Israel out of Egyptian bondage. He trusted in the covenant of the blood. He left there at the midnight hour. And the Bible says when they left Egypt, he came to a situation of impossibility. And instead of doubting God, he lifted up the rod of God in his hand and he watched the Red Sea part and they walked through on dry ground. For the next 40 years, he would encounter circumstance after circumstance where he would have to depend and trust on God. Moses had a habit of going up on the top of the mountain and getting deep in the glory of God. He would go 40 days and 40 nights without food or water, and he'd get so stuck in the presence of God that he'd come back down the mountain, and his skin would be radiating in brightness from the glory that he camped out in. He always had a Joshua or somebody under his wing that he was pouring himself into, and most of all, the spirit of Moses was under a direct influence of the Holy Spirit of God. I say this morning, Lord, give me a spirit like Moses. Help me to recognize that when I was born, and my mom and daddy might not have known it, and nobody else might have known it, but I had been set apart. God put me off to the side because he had a plan for my life. Help me to recognize that somewhere in my life, God has a plan and he's got a purpose. There's a burning bush somewhere in the desert calling my name. There's a blood that will redeem us out of Egypt. There is a God who will divide every Red Sea. There's manna. There's water. There's a pillar of cloud. There's a pillar of fire. Help me to recognize that what God wants to do with me, I have not seen the half, and it has not been told. I wonder if anybody would say, I've been in his presence. I've been in his glory. I've heard his word. I've seen him before, and I'll see him again. God said, you got something on you? You got something on you that I want to distribute. You got something on you I want to duplicate. You got something on you I want to share. Here's my question. Lord, give me a Moses spirit.
Here's my question to you, young lady. Sir, here's my question to you. Is your DNA worth duplicating? Does the world need another you? Do we need more of who you are? Does our church need more of you? Is your bloodline worth recreating? Is your spirituality worth multiplying? Is your character worth cloning? Does the world need more people that think like you? Dream like you? Pray like you? Talk like you? Do we need another you? Do you have an influence worth sharing? Are you a leader worth following? Because as an influencer of God's kingdom, I am accountable to him with how I affect the world around me. You didn't hear me. You didn't hear me. Now that I am been bought by the blood of Jesus and my sin has been removed, I will not stand in front of God and give an account of the error of my ways because they've been covered in a covenant blood. But to just as great degree, I will give an account face to face to God on what I did with the influence he gave me. How did I manage what he gave me within the kingdom? The very, the very idea that my character, my nature, my decision-making, my traits, my, my habits, the very idea that this could end up being poured into somebody else should cause me to wake up, clean up, and step up. I've been having to wrestle with God for two months on this sermon. And I'll be honest with you, as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, as a boss, as a friend, I am tired of being in a holy headlock. And I'm at a point where I'm like, I will say yes to living it if you will let me preach it. Every day, think about this, every day I am distributing who I am among the people who are influenced by me. You do too. Regarding my spouse, I am to offer you the very best of myself before I divide my love, patience, grace, affection, and attention to anyone or anything else. Regarding my children, I am to raise you to be a Christian first before I raise you to be a man or a woman or a successful citizen of this country. Regarding other believers within the church, I am to serve, support, and encourage you. I am to build you up and not tear you down. I am to put your needs before my own, and ultimately, I'm supposed to love you as I love myself. And regarding the world, everyone who doesn't know what I know and have what I have, every person blinded and lost in darkness away from God, I am supposed to demonstrate God to you. I was meant to be the best sermon you'll ever hear. The way I live my life is supposed to be the best sermon that you'll ever hear. 
I'm supposed to be the tangible evidence that there's a creator and that there's a savior who died and rose again for your sin and your soul. To every single man and woman within the sphere of my influence, I am obligated by Scripture to show you how Jesus is, not how I am. That is a problem we have in the leadership culture of the 21st century church. I want to disciple you to be like me when I should be discipling you to be like Jesus. Because there's things about me that you don't need. And in transparency and honesty, I can convey those things to you so that you will crucify them. While I'm praying for me to mortify or put to death those things, I am also showing you the necessity of burying those same things so that you do not inherit them from my leadership. But above all things, it is not my job to show you how I am. My opinions are secondary. My preferences are secondary. How I do things is secondary. And the model of who we want to be together is Jesus. And we must not stand up next to each other and compare. We must stand in the shadow of the Almighty and see Him for who He is. And it reflects upon us the need for His Spirit. Here's the deal. Listen to me. A work in your spirit requires a work of the Holy Spirit. You don't have what it takes naturally to produce anything godly. Because naturally, you're not godly. Naturally, you are not like God. So based on your first birth, You are a sinning machine. You are a selfish piece of crap. Apart from God, there is none good. Well, I've been at church my whole life. So what? Well, I was taught by... So what? By yourself, your righteousness is so short. I'm a good person. No, you're not. No, you're not. I don't smoke, dip, drink, or run with those who do. Smoke, dip, chew. Run with those who do. Isn't that what it is? Something like that? Yeah, but you talk about everybody. And you're negative. And judgmental. And lazy. And you got a buttload of excuses. And you're, you're more interested in the Georgia Bulldogs and you are the kingdom of God being revealed in your own home. That's the thing it's supposed to. I got plans for tomorrow night. So does God. So does God. And we wonder why the men of our generation are weak and anemic calloused hands and broad shoulders and furry faces but they got limp-wristed theology and they got weak, dried-up prayer lives and they're victims of demonic onslaught and their kids are statistics and their wife is the one leading the home and being the spiritual head and we wonder why things are so depleted and dehydrated in the church of the living God. That'll be on audio and the podcast for you to listen to it again later. 
Work in your spirit requires a work of the Holy Spirit. See, God was telling Moses, it's necessary. It's necessary that my spirit works through your spirit. The people need my spirit to work through your spirit. It's interesting. Watch this. You ready? The Holy Spirit was active in the Old Testament before he was available in the New Testament. Exploding head emoji. You're not hearing me. The Holy Spirit was active in the Old Testament before he was available in the New. The Holy Spirit was active in creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. The Holy Ghost was working in creation before there was, before there was even an Old Testament. Before there was even the law of Moses, the Holy Spirit was active. He was active in the days of Israel. He would come through the judges and the prophets and he would speak to the people. And in the, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit did not indwell people at their belief. He merely came upon them for particular tasks and assignments. But we're not in the Old Testament. Anybody seen any sacrificed animals this morning? Any, anybody, anybody visit a priest? Anybody have to... Look for the Day of Atonement. Anybody, anybody looking for the ark or the veil? No, no, no. We're not in the Old Testament. We're in the New Testament, which means we're on this side of the death, the burial, and the resurrection. We're on this side of the Pentecostal baptism of the Holy Spirit of God. We're on this side of the New Testament letter written not in stone but in our hearts, the very Word of God. And because of that, He is available to us. The moment you are saved. The Holy Spirit comes to reside inside of you. God turns you into his temple. And what's now available to you can also be active in you. Meaning you can be filled, you can be led, and your spirit can be influenced by his spirit. You know what that means? It means that every Christian is possessed. Look at the person next to you tell them, I'm possessed. I'm possessed. I'm possessed. If you're taking notes, write this down. Your spirit is possessed by God's spirit. Your spirit as a believer is now possessed by God's spirit. So here's, here's what that says to me. If my spirit now belongs in ownership to God's spirit, I want to be true to his name. I want to be true to his nature. I want to be true to his need for me to be a living sacrifice acceptable unto him. Which means I've got to stop with circumstantial or situational excuses. I've got to stop saying things like, well, I'm that way or I'm this way because of the things that are going on. I've got to stop making generational or personal excuses. Well, my mom was like this. And my, I was raised like that. And I've always been 
like this. We got to stop making instinctual or habitual excuses. It's just the what it's just what I do. It's just how I talk. It's just who I am, not anymore. It's not. Not anymore because the birth of the spirit overrides the birth of the natural. If you've been born a second time, if you've been born twice, I don't give a flip who your granddaddy was. I don't care where you were raised. I don't care what you were taught. I don't care what you've always known. I don't care who polluted you. I don't care who poisoned you. I don't care what you were raised under, what you were told, or what you think because a work of the Holy Ghost overrides everything else in your life. Somebody believe that? Give him praise. Come on now. You don't believe me? Look at Simon Peter. Jesus called a cussing, short-fused, spontaneous, living-with-his-foot-in-his-mouth preacher. He got nervous, intimidated, and scared of a little girl, denied Jesus, and ran away like a grown baby. He didn't have the courage to face a little girl and proclaim his Savior after walking for three and a half years with Jesus. Slept in the same house with him. Slept in the same forest with him. Ate at the same table with him. Prayed in the same rooms with him. Stood beside him, watched him do miracles. Heard his sermons and watched people convert and follow him. And that wasn't enough. You would think if you hung out with Jesus for three years, that would be enough. Before Jesus checked out of here, he said, it's necessary that I go away. Because the spirit that is on me needs to be on you. Because you can't be like me unless what's on me gets on you. All of a sudden, in Acts 2, Peter's in the upper room praying for 10 days with 119 other people. And when the Holy Spirit moves large and in charge, and he gets filled up with God's Spirit, when he gets influenced by God's Spirit in a personal, life-changing way like had never happened before, he was a different guy. Weak, scared, frail, timid Peter stands up in the boldness of God Almighty and preaches a sermon and over 3,000 people get saved. What happened to this guy? There's something different on the other side of the Holy Spirit moving in your life and influencing you. And where did that happen? It happened in the presence of God. All of this, and God told Moses, here's what you do. If you want to impart a spirit of influence, he said in verse 16, gather 70 men of the elders of Israel. I wrote this down. God needs some people who are okay with being the minority. Are you okay with losing friends? Listen to me. Some of y'all will never get where I'm talking about 
because you need the approval and affirmation of everybody around you. You need likes, you need follows, you need friends. And you have chosen a group of people over the God of the universe. Some of you are okay with being the majority. You're like every other fish. You swim the same direction. But God told Moses, find 70, oh my God, find 70 out of 2 million. Who's okay with being the minority? I lost friends. I lost opportunity. I lost a lot when I said I want to be an influence for God. But yes, Phoebe, I gained so much more. He said, I want you to find 70. And look at this. He said, I want you to make sure they're the elders. God needs some people who are ready for it with maturity. Some of y'all are 60, but your spirit's 10. Some, some of you, some of you I, listen, I'm not really worried. I'm not worried if you like this. I have a duty today to tell you the truth. But some of you are grown men, and, 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 and spiritually you still wet the bed. Paul said, when I, when I was a child, I spake as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. And a lot, of us are, a lot of us are locked into a decade because of something traumatic that happened to us. And we may be 57, but we're 17 inside. And our spirit is stuck. Our body has changed. We have crow's feet. and Our vision is not what it used to be. And we need reading glasses and and, and our, our bodies hurt and we walk down the hall and our, it sounds like popcorn popping because our knees and our ankles are just <laughs> snap, crackle, and pop. And our body is weathered by age and emotional erosion, but our spirit is still stuck in children's church. And we lean on somebody else to lead us. God said, I want some people that can handle it, who are ready for it. I want some people who have grown, who have thrown themselves at developing, and who are ready to take on this level of influence. He said, I want you to get these men, and I want you to gather them in the tent, and then I'm going to come down, and I'm going to talk, and I'm going to take what's on you. What's this? And I'm going to give it to them. In other words, I'm going to do away with what they have and give them something they've never had. Are some of us running off fumes that we've had in our tank for the last 20 years? Or are we open to God giving us something and doing something us that we've never had? How long have you been saying, I'm going to be somebody who reads the Bible? How long have you been saying, I'm going to have a dedicated prayer life? How long have you been saying, I'm going to lead others? How long have you been saying, I'm going to preach the gospel? How long have you been saying, I'm going to get involved? How long have you been saying, I'm going to be a church member? How long have you been saying, I'm going to go do this thing that God's put in my heart? How long have you been saying that? Are you ready for an exchange? Are you ready for God to take something off of you that's always been on you and give you a taste of something you've never had before?
Or are you okay with being the same kind of preacher, the same kind of minister, the same kind of person that you've always been? Or do you want something more? I like this. He said, get them to stand there. Get 70. Get them to come down in the presence of God where I'm going to show up and get them to stand there. I wrote this down. If you're standing up, you're not sitting down. If you're standing up, you're not sitting down. You know what we need less of at New Grace? People sitting down. We don't need any more people to sit down. We need some folks who are willing to stand up, which means I'm ready to get busy. I'm ready to get involved. I'm ready to get to walking. I'm ready to get to stepping. I'm ready to get to strutting. I'm ready to get to jumping. I'm ready to get to running. I'm ready to get leaping. Because as long as you're sitting down, you can't go nowhere. But the moment you get on your feet and you stand up, there's something that happens in the atmosphere. There's something that happens inside of your heart. There's something that happens in heaven and in earth. And God says, I see somebody who's serious. I see somebody who's willing. I see somebody who's ready. Will somebody in this room help me go to church and give God a Holy Ghost praise? If you know God is ready for somebody that won't sit down down. He's looking for somebody that'll stand up. Come on, give him praise in the house. Now I appreciate appreciate y'all taking that literal in that moment. But let me finish what I was trying to tell you. You want to know my heart? You want to know what run through Pastor Derek's head all week, all morning, and what will run through his head when he's sitting on the couch resting this afternoon? I want to get back to a church culture where people are hungry to be on site where God is. I want to get back to a church culture where there's classes happening, and I'm not the only one teaching. I want to get back to a church culture where people are wanting to open up their homes and have groups and host people in their community. You know what's a win? I'll tell you what's a win. I just had somebody reach out to me this last week and talk to them yesterday. They're going to open their home in Clarksville and invite some people in the area so that they can host an atmosphere where God can show up and people can come together under the banner and the name of Jesus. And I say, I didn't ask you to do it. I didn't have to beg you to do it. I didn't have to get you to volunteer or register. You took it upon your... You took it upon yourself. In other words, you got off your you-know-what. I want to get back to a... I don't care if well, modern church culture just says that you need to do Sunday morning and Wednesday night and Sunday nights and all those things during the week. That's just not convenient for people in the 21st century. If it's not ideal for the 21st century, we should probably do it. Are you here? If, if it's not what most people are used to, if it's not what most people would recommend. 
I'm going to tell you right now what happened on the pages of that book. It was not recommended. It was not suggested. It was not voted on. And nobody saw it coming. You know why? Because God doesn't take the pull of an audience. And God doesn't ask everybody's opinion. When God wants to do something, He's a God of suddenlies. And God does. God does it when He's ready. I want to get back to a church culture where we find some men who can sing. I love the anointing of God on these ladies. And JJ. You're going to tell me that there's only one joker in this house that can carry a tune. Some of y'all need to redeem that gift God gave you. Because you're going down the road in your pickup truck singing Luke Bryan. Or if you're really a man, you're singing Conway Twitty. And you got you can, you're your own pitch. And you know it. And you need to redeem that thing and give it to God. And you need to get your butt up on that stage. You need to stop sitting down and get your butt up on that stage and be a man and lead worship and show somebody what Levitical love looks like. That's deep and free. Am I right, Pastor JJ? We need some gifted individuals who can financially bless what they believe in. Stop being stingy and selfish and greedy. And stop trying to keep your nest egg under you and learn how to trust God with a little bit of the shell. Let God use you. He brought blessing to you so that it may come from you. You are not to be a reservoir. Reservoirs had stagnant water and they are dead and they are nasty and nothing lives or grows in stagnant water. You're not a reservoir, you're supposed to be a river. So what comes to you goes through you. We need to get back to a church culture where we have some leaders who can change the social climate. Who will take ownership of this very room. And they'll walk in here on a mission. They will come in here looking for people who look lost. Looking for someone who feels like they don't belong. You know what I did last Sunday? I perched back there in that little crow's nest. I perched back there on purpose and I watched. And I watched about five different households come in and sit down. And then I watched a hundred people walk by them and not notice them. You know what I wanted to do? Besides preach my sermon right then, I want to go to every one of them. Hey, my name is Derek. What's your name? Man, I'm so glad you're How long y'all been coming? I've been coming here for a while. I'm glad you're here. I'm so glad you're and, and, and let and just someone break the ice of traditional pharisaical religion that says, you stay over there, we'll stay over here. This is church where we just come and we listen and we go home and nobody connects with anybody. I don't know your story and you don't need to know mine. I said, I'm going to kill that by going against the grain. And what's, what's, what's crazy is I only made it to one. Because the moment I go to one, and go to another, 
people that got my cell phone and people that have plenty of time to talk to me will walk right by <clears throat> will walk right by the people I'm trying to minister to so they can come tell me something they can tell me during the week. Are you hearing me? Like, like you're walking by the thing you're here for. To come up and blow smoke. Uh, I love you. I love you. This thing is for you. But there's a part of some of y'all that said, I'm here to serve and make a difference. I want to be a leader. But you are willing to walk by broken sheep to come snuggle up with a shepherd. We're going to come in here next Sunday be 10 people. <laughs> 70. We'll have 70 next Sunday. You know what we need? We need some fun adults who are gifted to serve with kids. Because we got three, we got 90 to 180 days before we burn the wills off them people that are in there. Because it's the same people serving in there that were serving in the shopping center and at Southside. And they are soldiers, man. We sat with them right here last weekend and looked at them people who are serving kids, and they are soldiers. The only reason we can actually have this room right here focused enough for the glory of God to move is because somebody's in there with our kids. You don't believe me? You don't believe me? Let them people get out right now and come in here and bring them kids in here. <laughs> bring them kids in here. And tell me if there is a focus on the presence of God like there is right now. We need some fun adults who are gifted in that area of the next generation to start pouring into them. We need some people who had a troubled upbringing, who went through crisis and tragedy, to come onto this church and be what they needed. We need some people who went through divorce and survived. We need some people who went through abuse and survived. We need some people who were addicted and survived, and we need them to start being what it was they needed. Are you hearing me? I'm telling you something. If you want to see Pastor Jeff punch somebody in the face, walk up to him and say, I, <laughs> I came to this church, and I was expecting somebody to dot, 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 and nobody ever did it. And he's going to say, it sounds like that's what you were supposed to do. What frustrates you is usually a sign of what you're called to do. But you got that consumer mentality that you got taught by the first so-and-so church that your papa went to for all them years. Frozen Chosen, so you come over here with this idea that it's a one-man show and that just a few people do everything and you get to sit there like a consumer, like this is some kind of movie theater or performing arts center and we just, we just you come in here and you check your little God box and go home. That, that ain't scriptural. That don't even exist. Like God's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. That, don't, that ain't even real. We need someone who can drive Lydia Gertrude. We got Betty Jo Lynn and Lydia Gertrude sitting right out there. And every Wednesday night, to try to preserve the base of where we came from, we send Lydia or Betty Jo Lynn down to Banks Crossing and pick up a bunch of students and drive them up here. 
because they were used to having church down there, 17 minutes away. So we drive it down there. And here's what's crazy. The dude preaching and the dude leading worship are the only two that are willing to drive it down there. So we need somebody to stop sitting down and stand up and give their Wednesday nights to transporting students. In a little bit, old Lydia and Betty Jo Lynn are going to be ready to run on Sundays. And I'm going to need somebody to get off their butt, stand up, and drive that thing to recovery centers in this area and pick up people who want to experience the presence of God and bring them to new grace. Because when you're standing up, you're not sitting down. i got to land a plane. Come on, JJ, we got to stop. I still, I still want to minister here in the closing. I want to minister and pray for people. I want to pray and lay hands and pray, on, pray for people that want what I'm talking about. We got all kind of room. I text Pastor Jeff during the first song. I said, how do I register for them line dancing classes? I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take that any day. See, some of y'all are getting it right now. i take that. I'll take people who are okay with coming out of their comfort zone, want to go down here and get in the presence of God with other people. You know, you know how to get it. You know how to let it rub off on you? Get in the place and around the people that got it. Get in the place and around the people that got it. More contagious than COVID, it'll get you. Here's what happened when Moses and the 70 came, right? Moses, 70 come together in the tabernacle. Verse 25, the Lord came down in a cloud. The Lord came down in a cloud. Many times you see God revealing himself and his glory and his presence like that of a descending cloud in the Old Testament. rained a lot, it's been cold, it's been nasty and I was driving up to Baldwin coming up 441 several days in a row it was just thick cloud like fog in this area and I mean so bad coming up 441 I was having to go 30, 40 miles an hour bless God you know you know it's cloud like fog if I am going 30 or 40 miles an hour I got up here to the property. Ain't nobody here. I think Joe was probably here because she gets up before God does. And I got here. And I stand up at the cabin, up there where our offices are. I walked out on the porch. And I couldn't even see this building. It was so thick and so settled. I stepped out off that porch. And I was in that thick cloud. And I walked into the thickness of where that cloud was. And the more I went into it, the only thing I could see was the cloud. Couldn't see my peripherals. Couldn't see in front of me or behind me. And it's like the further I went into it, everything else around me just faded from view. You ever been so deep in the cloud-like presence of God that all the problems and all the worries 
and all the excess stuff just begins to fade from view and all you can see is Him. All you can sense is Him. Some of you should try praying until you're in the middle. There ain't nothing wrong with getting down here and praying a quick little, hey, Lord, thank you, Jesus, amen, hallelujah. That's fine, that's fine. But there's something about being in that cloud. The further you get in that cloud and the thicker it gets, because you lose visibility of everything else, sometimes it's just best if you stay put until it's gone. In other words, while I was coming up 441, the thicker it got, the slower I had to go. And sometimes I had to learn how to just be still in it. Y'all ain't hearing what I'm saying. Where did Moses, where did the people get influenced by the Spirit of God? In the very presence of God. They came down, they stood, and they said, touch us with that influence. Make us influential. I was heading up to the church, driving through the thick fog at 20, 30 miles an hour. And it occurred to me that I had my windshield wipers on. But it wasn't raining. Because it was so thick, and it was so saturated with the moisture that there was water in the air. And I was having to wipe my windshield down. There's a reason that Jesus likened the Holy Spirit as to water. Because in the presence of God, it's so saturated with Him. If you stay long enough, it'll get on you. And it'll get on you in a way it can't get off of you. It says they went into that cloud, and God took what was on Moses, watch this, and He put it on them. Through His Spirit, He put it on them. And what got on them came through them. They began to prophesy. They began to speak in accordance with God's truth and word. People who were crying and whining in their tent just a few hours ago are now standing in His tent and they are proclaiming with their mouth the truth of who God is. It is in the presence of God where you are influenced by His Spirit. I made a comment to a preacher friend of mine that was here last week, Scott Westmoreland. I had him come pray at the very end of the service. Are y'all all right? Everybody okay? We're, we're, about to, we're, about to, we're about to come into this thing together. And I need you to get ready to get out of your seat and come down here and pray with me because I'm going to help you. We're going to just make room for the Holy Ghost. I told Scott Westmoreland, who's a good friend of mine, a preacher, former pastor, trying to figure out what the will of God is for his next step in ministry. And I told him, I said, I've been doing this 20 years. And sometimes the weight and the burden of ministry damages who I'm supposed to be. You know why pastors blow their brains out, have affairs, live double lives, and end up walking away from the calling of God on their life? is because they let ministry be their identity. They let a calling be their identity instead of their Christ. And I made a comment to him. I said, if being a pastor and having the weight of this ministry on my shoulders makes me, keeps me from being a better Christian, I need to resign. And I said this, if being the pastor here 
being the guy who hits all the home runs makes me a better Christian, I need to resign. My identity cannot be tied to what I do. My identity needs to be tied to who I am. And I have been making specific time, waking up, cleaning up, and stepping up. I'm just sharing this. If this this runs off on you, praise the Lord. If not, just let me preach. I've been making a point specifically. It's got nothing to do with New Year's resolutions and all that crap that I'm not going to keep. I'm talking about something between me and God. And this is something he's been dealing with me about for a while, like three years now, two and a half, three years. And I've been making a point to, to call a timeout, get rid of that phone, get out of my house. And we got a little trail that runs down into the woods behind my house. And it's a walking trail that runs through the neighborhood. And there's a tiny little bridge, a little creek that runs over it. And, uh, man, one of the, I'm telling you, I had a Christmas gift that changed my life. My kids and Ashley bought me some AirPods. I'm real behind on the times, all right? Like, I still call them headphones. They're like, they're not headphones, Daddy. It's AirPods. Get my headphones. That thing's changed my life because I put them things in and I put some, I got me a worship playlist on my phone. And um, I go down there in that trail. And I just turn some of that music on. I just look around at nature. I look at what my daddy made, you know. And I let him talk to me through that stuff I'm listening to. And I start talking to him. and I'm asking him to change my influence. And he's showing me areas where I've damaged my influence. And he's showing me areas where I've been neglectful of my influence. And he's like, Derek, your influence is one of the greatest gifts if someone will listen to what you're saying or if someone could be changed by the way you live your life. This is a gift you cannot neglect or overlook. You need to value this. And I'm asking God, let your spirit influence my spirit. And I'm having these conversations with God out here on this walking trail. And it's early in the morning, and I'm pouring my heart out to God. And the next thing I know, it turns into a worship service. And I'm just walking around, and I'm, I'm throwing my hands up, and I'm calling out on God, and I'm praying in the Spirit. And it's just me and Him, and I'm just making much of Jesus, and I'm, I'm having myself a time, and I'm crying, and I'm just blessing Him. And all of a sudden, here comes some dude running through the trail. <laughs> running through the trail. I said, oh, uh, I said, good, good morning. He said, you know, it's uh, good to meditate every now and then. <laughs> I said, brother, I ain't meditating. I'm marinating right now, man. I am in it. I am in it. And if you don't take off running, you're going to get stuck with me right here. Like, I'm going to drag you in. I popped that AirPod back in, and I just went to praying. And I've been asking God to give me, give me overflow. If I will learn how to live on full, watch this. If I will learn how to live on full at the brim, every drop will be overflow. Because, man, I, I, it, I, I get used to, as a pastor, as, as, a, as, a, as a husband and a father, and, and man, God, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. It's sometimes being a leader is lonely and it's stressful and, and you feel like you don't have as many friends as you want to have and, and, and you can kiss normality goodbye. 
and all the, all the walls in your house are clear. Everybody can see through them. And anything you do gets magnified in front of everybody. And God, it, sometimes it's so much pressure. But I want to be a better Christian before I'm a better pastor. I want to be a better Christian before I'm a better husband or a father or a friend or a leader or a boss. And I'm just in a place my prayer life, I've got to get off my butt. I've got to stand in front of God and say, influence me to be an influence. For your sake, for Ashley's sake, for my baby's sake, for my church's sake, for the staff's sake, influence me to be an influence. I'll make room for you right here in my heart, my head, if you will just feel me. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcatcher. New episodes are posted on Tuesdays.